What if our hope, the hope that God will always be at the right place at the right time, what if that hope was still limited? What if the hope that was supposed to help us to endure and get through the struggles in our life, to help us have purpose and passion with the things that he's called us to do, to help us each and every day to take a moment to breathe, to walk, to experience life, and to be difference makers in the world around us? What if it was still limited and why? What is that why? Why are we stuck? Why is that place where we constantly fall short or feel like we're struggling to receive or operate in the hope that we have? What if it was limited by our reproach? I said reproach, not approach. What if our approach was limited because of our reproach? The definition of reproach is an occasion of shame, blame, or disgrace. See, many times our hope is limited because it comes out of a broken situation. Our hope is tied to brokenness, so we can never truly operate in it. It's always limited. It always keeps us in a place because what if it doesn't work this time? What if it falls short this time? There's no faith that's signed to our hope because it's still tied to our brokenness. I hope you enjoy today's sermon as it helps and seeks to watch us walk away from the brokenness in our life, the places of shame, the places where people blamed us so that that we can really walk into this hope that Jesus has given us, that we can be difference makers, kingdom citizens in the world around us. Let's go. I see you. Yeah, you. Flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases? A one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Well, we've been in this series now two weeks. Um, I was going to go into a season of gifting series and talk about all the gifts, but then I got bogged down in one gift, which is the one gift that I think we need the most of. And I think out of that, that gift is bigger than we can imagine in that it brings other things. And we're going to talk about it again this week, but we're talking about hope. Last week, we talked about the perfect timing of hope and how sometimes our hope is bogged down because we don't get it at the right time or what we perceive as the right time. But our hope is not that we're going to be at the right place at the right time. Our hope is that he is always at the right place in the right time. I'm going to say that again. Somebody needs to grab a hold of that. Our hope is not that we'll be in the right place at the right time, because you know what? You're going to miss it sometimes. Our hope is that he is always at the right place at the right time. See, I could look back over, and I use, I say Peabody's a lot, but where I met my wife. I could look back on that season like, Lord, I was in the wrong place. I should have been in the church preaching. And he's like, yeah, you probably should have. But you know what? I was there. And I connected you at the right place and at the right time. So you can look back over your life, and we're going to talk a little bit about this today, about reproach. But I want to preach today out of this this title, The Joyful Peace. The Joyful Peace. Because we talk about these fruit of the Spirit sometimes as ones, and joy, this is the season of joy, right? Joy to the world. We sing it, we sing it, we sing it. Or, you know, there's situations that are just not peaceful and we just want to speak peace. But I want to talk today because I believe the joyful peace, when it's together, is exactly where the church should be operating. Not seeking after, but a place of operation. Because if you look at the world around us, joyful and peace, not really together. Most times... 
especially in areas of conflict, whether it be in our marriages, in situations around our home, joy comes or peace comes because they just re- we just get away from each other. There's no joyful peace of being with one another. I find my joy when I'm away from you. Or I find my peace because I'm away from you. There's not a connection peace. And I think in the body of Christ, if we get to this mindset that peace brings joy and that joy provides peace, you'll understand the scripture. So we're going to read a couple of scriptures and I'm going to get into it. James 1, 17, 18. James 1, 17, 18. These first couple of scriptures will be on the screen above me. James 1, 17 and 18. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So I want to think about that first fruits. I was, th- I was as we were singing that song today, you know, in the Old Testament, when they would uh, give a sacrifice, they brought the first fruits every year. Uh, a very agrarian society with animals, they would bring the first calf, the brand newest born, and they would sacrifice that first fruit for the promise that there was more coming. To say, you know what? This one is the best. It's the nicest. I can take this one and do a lot with it. And God said, I can take it and do a lot more with it. There was a trust and a confidence, a joy in giving it. See, this goes back to where Jesus talks a lot about a cheerful giver. When you give with joy and you don't give out of, "Mm, God, I hope you replace this. If I'm giving this to you and you better do something with it, there's a difference in in a concept of cheerful giving, of joyful giving. It is the release that God has better in store for me. There's also a peace in not worrying about how I'm, okay, I got to get home and I got to get these, make these cows together or do this in the field because if I'm, if I'm not doing enough, then it all going to follow me. And I didn't. there's just a peace in knowing that I'm letting this go, the complete release and there's more. Now, when you see this here, this is what we've been called to be. We are the, considered the first fruits. We have come to this place of release, of walking through the journeys, of receiving Christ to be the fruit. So when we talk about fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, peace, patience, all of that, we've been given that through Christ. And the moment we receive it, now we give it away. When we receive it, that's how it's poured out of heaven, which is what it says, from every good gift and every perfect gift from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be. So through truth, we're positioned to receive this fruit and to be bearers of it. And then as you bear it, as you release what he's given you, our time, energy, effort begins to grow that fruit in us. And we're going to talk about two of those today, joy and peace. So Romans 15, 13, this scripture says, may the God of hope. Now that's the God that we want to sell to people because everybody can use a little more hope. Amen. So how do we position ourselves to be hope? Peter talked about it. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies in you. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But that scripture and this one have really been in my spirit because I think if there's anything the church has to offer, it has to be the God of hope. And hope comes at a little bit of a cost to those who receive it. Yes, we get it in the beginning and it's free, but there's a requirement that we continue to get to a place of abundance in believing. So this scripture says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by believing, and this is what we just talked about, more and more and more. When you seek, you'll find. When you believe more in him, see the belief that brought you in the door. If you've been doing this for a many amount of time, I can assure you your belief has grown bigger. Because you've experienced and walked through things. So as that belief comes bigger, there's more joy and more peace. Which begins to connect people to this God of hope. Man, I see something different in them. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And this goes to what Peter preached. Repent and be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So believing positions us to live a life of repentance, letting go. Baptism to release where we've been and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit which expands and expounds abundance in us so that we can be vessels of an abundance of hope. Now, I, want to get, I told you we're going to be in Romans 15 in this sermon series, and I want to back up to Romans 15, 3 and 6. So last week we talked about we who are strong have an obligation to bear. And I begin to think about this as you get through Romans 15 a little bit more, why we don't, why we sometimes fail to grab a hold and, and help everybody else carry their their burdens, because we tend to carry our own pretty close, right? We have a problem, and it's the human nature, especially if we meet Jesus later in life, we've gotten good at carrying our burdens, sometimes at the cost of everything, our peace and our joy. How many people you see, I can get it done. I've been doing it my whole life. There ain't no joy, no peace in it, right? But they're convinced they can do it. So then when they meet this Jesus and he's like, hey, I can take some of that burden off you. Well, Jesus, I'm just getting good at doing it. I'll take what you give me because I need a little bit of that. But this stuff, I'm just stuck in. So Romans 15, 3 through 6. <coughs> Bear with me. It's the season of coughing. It says this, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we <coughs> might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> we now see, and when you get to the, the end of that, the call for the church. That's what this letter to Paul or from Paul to the church of Roman is all about. It's preparing the church to be this light. So when we read the end of that, may the God of endurance and encouragement, <clears throat> if he's the God of endurance and encouragement, that means we need to endure and be encouraged. Anybody feel like they need some endurance in their life today? Anybody need a little encouragement today? See, that's the hope. The God of hope is the same God of God of hope or encouragement and endurance. If you get to like the Roman people, what he's talking to is a group of people who come out of a mindset and a brokenness that there was a lot of gods. There's a God of war. There's a God of peace. There's a God of death. All these things, all these gods. And he's like, there's one God. Hope is endurance is encouragement. It's pretty easy math, right? It's not plus, minus, times this, times that. Hope is endurance. Ooh, I don't like that because endurance means I got to go through some stuff and it's going to take some time and it's not instantaneous. Hope is encouragement. Okay, that kind of does, but if I'm in a place I need encouragement, that doesn't seem like a place of hope. But in this moment right here, he says, he's positioning you. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. So as a church, I need you to live in harmony so that you can be a voice of hope through your endurance, your encouragement to those in need. So now as we back up a little bit more, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. See, this, is a, this comes out of Psalm 69.9, where... The psalmist David was talking about the reproaches that I've had. You took on my reproach. And I begin to focus on this word today because I love the beauty of the Bible. As we were reading in Luke 1 last week about Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's funny is in Elizabeth's story, you find this word reproach. The beauty of the narrative of the Bible. Reproach means this, a cause or occasion of blame, discredit, or disgrace. I'm going to put it a little bit different because it just rolls off the tongue. A cause or occasion of blame, shame, or disgrace. 
This is reproach. <clears throat> so in this scripture, it's saying the reproaches, the cause or occasions of blame, shame, or disgrace of those who reproached, of those who gave blame, shame, and disgrace, all that fell on you. Anybody ever play the blame game? Your kids, right? One blames one, and then you hear the other one. They blame them. Before you know it, you've got 15 different stories because somebody's blaming somebody, and you're like, well, who is right in the first place? See, the truth and the power of this scripture is it don't matter who is right, I am. That's what God's saying in this place. I'm not going to deal with your reproaches because I'm going to take it all on because I just need you to understand I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we'll get into this. So we're going to go to Luke 1. I'm going to read a couple of passages in this continuing narrative of the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. And we're not even going to get to Jesus today because we're going to stay here with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was a woman, his wife, and they were up in years. And God had promised them the birth of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, actually Jesus' cousin. But he was sent by God to forerun, to tell about who was coming after him. He was the, a preacher in the wilderness, and he was telling you, yeah, I know you trusted the law, and I know you should, but there's a man coming. The Messiah's on his way. Jesus is behind me. And I think it's the beautiful thing that they were actually connected in relationship. And last week we talked about Zechariah, how he was at the right place at the right time, or actually God was at the right place at the right time, to give him this promise of having a child. Because they were later in years. Elizabeth was later in years. He was later in years. So they were at a place in their life where they probably just confined it. You know what? We're not having kids. And if you know anything about the Jewish community, having kids, having a lineage, having a legacy is a big deal. Especially a son. To carry on the name. See, it's got watered down, I think, in American culture. It'd just be like, I don't want kids. Like, I, I ain't got time for kids. My busy schedule. There is a beauty to what the Word says about carrying the legacy on, about providing. And then you're like, well, there's some people who can't have kids. That's the world we live in. That's the sinful world, the things we eat and put in our bodies, the things that are around us that have caused people not to have kids. That's the hard part of this whole thing is to understand that, yes, this sinful world happens, and now we have those that can't have kids. But in this space, in this time, they desired to have kids. Later in age, didn't have it, and we don't know why. We just have to believe that there was purpose and reason but God shows up to Zechariah and says, not only am I giving you a kid, I'm giving you a crazy purpose, kid. So Zechariah has this promise in him, and he goes home and he shares it with his wife. But here's what I want you to hear today, because although Zechariah, he worked with him, and you have to leave, watch last week's sermon. In verse 24, we see Elizabeth, and it says, after these days, this was when he come home and let, him, let Elizabeth know all that he had heard from the angel. It says, In these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now that sounds like a very powerful statement of just identity, right? Let me read just that scripture without the context I'm about to give you. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach, to take away my discredit or my disgrace because I didn't have among people. You can say a lot of things, but the impact is based on the audience you have. Y'all with me? This powerful statement of fact of who God is and he has taken away my reproach from people was done in a mirror. It was Elizabeth trying to tell herself. You know how we know this? Because she was in her fifth month of pregnancy and she ain't left the house yet. Okay, God, I know you gave me a promise. I'm a little up in years and there's some disgrace in me. There's some reproach. I've been assigned shame and disgrace because I don't have a kid at this age. But I believe you're giving it to me. I'm just going to believe from the comfort of my couch. Because about that sixth, seventh month, that's when I'm going to start showing. Then I can walk out there. How many people you know 
when they found out they were pregnant, they didn't tell anybody for a long time until they got that first ultrasound or they had that first heartbeat. Because why? There was a fear and a doubt, maybe based off what they'd experienced, what somebody told them or they'd had before, that if I share it and this goes south, there will be blame, shame, and disgrace on my life. Anybody know anybody like that? This is Elizabeth, up in years. So I'm sure the first thing the doctor is going to tell her is, mm, probably not going to have this baby. Elizabeth, you're a little old. I'm going to say it. Your husband couldn't. He said you're up in years. But I'm going to tell you, I'm looking at your age and looking at your, your medical files, and, mm, you're a little old. So for fear of reproach, for fear of the people who talk bad about her, she stayed in her house for five months. This is the problem that a lot of people have is although she's been given this hope, there's no joy in it until it gets there. So we get this promise that something's coming and we feel this, we're moving towards it, but there's no joy in the process until we arrive at the place of of receiving it. This is the problem with the hope of the church. We've been given a hope at the end of this life, there's something waiting on us. But for fear of reproach, a lot of people stay in their churches, stay in their homes, and just say, I'm just going to keep this to myself. I got my hope. It's coming. And y'all going to figure it out one day. There's going to be the reproach of the reproach. The people's going to know that I was right. When I get to the other side, whoo, you'll know that I was changed. See, this is the limitation of hope, because it's not based on your reproach. I want you to hear this. Your hope is not based on your problem. It's based on your promise. Elizabeth, your hope is not limited to this, what you couldn't have. Your hope is based on what you have, not going to have the promise of what you have. And nobody can take that away. See, the voices of your reproach will hold you back from your promise. Because the more you listen to the voices that told you you were no better than what you did, then told you that you were less than that moment, you'll stay in hiding and you'll limit your ability to share the hope that you have, the endurance that you're walking through of a nine, ten month process, your encouragement that you received in a place where you didn't have anything. Your reproach is not your limitation. See, I think sometimes if we really begin to look, it begins to position an audience around you. Think of that. When Elizabeth walks out of the house because of those who had reproach for her, and she begins to tell everybody I'm pregnant. Elizabeth, (laughs) come on, girl. You know you ain't pregnant. I know you want to be good and have kids, but come on. Even if you get a little, little belly, you need to go to the gym, Elizabeth. We know you ain't pregnant. That's the fear. That's the concern that somebody's going to say something about her. So she just says, you know what? I'm just going to stay here for five months. Five months. But here's the beauty of the story that we miss so many times. If we go to 35, so we skip down this story. Now the angel's appearing to Mary, mother of Jesus. In 35, it says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will, call, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with who, her who was called. This is God telling Mary that Elizabeth's still in her house. You ain't seen her, but she has been, she has conceived a child. She has the child in her womb. She's been in her house now for the six months. And then the Holy Spirit begins to lead Mary to her place. See, this is the power of encouragement when we begin to listen and hold on because Mary has been given the same place, the same birth as promised. Hers is a little bit bigger because she didn't even go through the conceiving process with a man that Grand Elizabeth did and still didn't trust it. Hers, she completely had to trust the Holy Spirit. This angel that was speaking to her, complete trust. And then Mary, because she is convinced about what she has in her and her promise of where she's going, Mary gets on the road and says, I'm going to Elizabeth's house. 
In 39, we see that. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. I want you to underline, circle that Judah, because we're going to come back to that name in a minute. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Think about this. For six months, Elizabeth had been told, you have a child. The thing you've waited for your whole life, the very validation of your existence as a man and a woman, you've been given it. For six months, there is no joy, there is no peace for fear of what could happen, for fear of what people might say. The hope was limited on the reproach instead of tied to the promise. And in this moment, when Mary comes in, Mary doesn't say anything because she didn't have to. The moment you get around somebody that's got the real hope inside them, you'll know it. It begins to spark things in you. You'll begin to speak differently. You'll be challenged to see. Because Mary didn't have to say a word. She just had to be it. She carried herself differently. Elizabeth had already been told that Mary's having a child. So she knew. It was in that moment of promise. The moment of true hope, of joy and peace in the moment that exactly what God said is true. That she stopped listening to the detractors and now she could listen to the voice of God because there was validation in her. This baby leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is a declaration of hope. I'm going to read these to you, both of them. Her first one, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In other words, my hope is that I'm better than I was. My hope is that I'm going to prove them wrong. My hope is that they don't even know what's going on. But in this statement of hope, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, you see the position, the change of her voice, the change the way she's speaking to this situation? The situation didn't change. Her posture changed. Now she sees herself through a different lens, a different eyes. This is the power of hope. This is the moment of joyful peace when truly you understand this is where I'm at. In this moment, God is who he said he was. We find it even in Mary Magdalene. So your hope is not based on your problem. It's not based on the shame, blame, and disgrace. See, this is the limitation of people who come to know Christ is God is who he is. Jesus is my hope because I'm not who I was. And he never becomes bigger than that because he constantly come back to this place. Well, at least I'm not that anymore. Jesus like, man, I'm so much bigger. My hope is bigger than that peace. But you're still worried about what you were. You're still tied to the blame, shame, and disgrace that I released you from. That's the purpose in the church is when we're around people, we don't bring up the reproach. We don't restore the reproach. We don't activate them in that broken place. We begin to challenge them to see the future and the hope they've been assigned and given. I would love to see more in the church when things begin to leap for joy in people. I've heard people with prophetic words on their lives before, and it just brings them so much worry and fear because, oh God, what if I don't do this? Oh, what if I get this wrong? I'm not ready for that. I can never do that. So then it's just this constant burden of like, I know, God, you told me to do this, but I'm continuously falling short and failing. But I've also witnessed it with people like, are aligned. So God will put you in the right place at the right time if you're thinking about it. I'll give you a perfect example. This week, so I've been invited with this group of pastors to go to Israel next year. In order to do that, I, got, I had to fill up my paperwork and get my passport. Well, 21 years in the Navy, I never needed a passport. Now I got to get one. 
what I just found out, and I remembered, but I thought the paperwork had been fixed, but my birth certificate, which I couldn't find a copy of, the, we're going to get down a rabbit hole here. I should have already been filling this paperwork out. I didn't. Okay, so a little bit, there's some reproach there on my fault. Oh, I should have done this already. I didn't. So I get the phone call. I need your passport in the next couple of weeks. So I jump on and find out how long it takes to get a passport. Okay, it's going to be cutting it close, right? Okay, I need to find my birth certificate in the house. Can't find my birth certificate. Crap. Sorry, I say crap. So I call Arkansas Department of Health, and I get on the phone with the lady, and they're like, we can get you a copy of your birth certificate right now. We'll send it in the mail. So they send it. I get in the mail, and I open it up, and I'm like, mm, it says Anthony, not Anthony. <laughs> See, I knew someone had fat-fingered the name a long time ago, and I had assumed it had been taken care of because I had this piece of paper when I joined the Navy that showed it highlighted, and I assumed that was a fix. It never got fixed. So then I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm never going to get this. So I call back, and I'm talking to a lady, and I'm like, oh, I need a new birth certificate. I said, I, I have to update this. And she instantly, she goes, well, that's going to be about a four- to seven-week process before we can get it updated, and then we'll mail it to you. And I'm like, I'm not going to Israel. God, you want me to go on this trip. Now I ain't going. I was a goon. I should have put my paperwork in sooner. Why didn't I submit this birth certificate thing early? I remember now, years ago, my mom telling me I needed to, but I just assumed it was done, and it wasn't. And I started, oh, I'm just not going to do it. And I, just in conversation with this young lady, she, I said, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to get, well, actually, I finally got on with the, the person, because I had asked if I could get it quicker, and they said, well, let me just send you to the desk of the person. So I get on the phone with her, and I'm just talking, and it's like, yeah, you know, I'm just... Uh, 21 years in the military, and now I'm in Chesapeake, Virginia, and it's because she said, you can just come get this today. You can just drive to Little Rock and get it. I said, I wish I could do that, but I can't. I said, uh, you know, I'm just in a bind. I was hoping I could get this fast-tracked or uh, whatever. I said, I'm a pastor, and I'm trying to go on this trip, and just in conversation. So we get to the end of it, and she goes, well, pastor, send me your stuff. She said, send it in a priority envelope, and um, I will... Send me all your paperwork. She said, it'll take a week or two, and then I'll send it back. So she said, it won't be quite the four to seven weeks, but it's still going to be two to three weeks. And she said, at the end of it, she said, and just throw a prayer up for me. Whoop. See, there's, there's been times in my past where I'd have been like, I'll be praying for you. Click. Still worried about my problems. Still worried about where I went wrong. I said, how can I pray for you? Well, you know, I'm struggling financially in this season, but, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of stress and depression. Let me tell you a story about my wife who struggled in depression, almost took her life. And I just began to pray over her, speak life into her. And the next day I texted her or emailed her. I said, hey, I'm getting the paperwork together. I get a phone call. She's like, I've already fixed it. If you could just fax over or eat scan, you know, scan copies, all that, and all you gotta do is get me a check and we'll take care of it. It's already done. I just need the check so I can send it to you. And then the email she sent back is, here's what you need. I, I sent it to her. She goes, I said, you're worth it. You're valuable, just so you know. Don't let your depression bog you down to a place where you don't feel like you're worthy. And she goes, I know. I've realized I need to be that for my four-year-old. And I sent her the video of my wife's testimony of battling with suicide and depression. And in that moment, I said, God, I'm thankful that you bring hope in every situation if we're just listening. I was so bogged down in what I could have done. I'm going to list out on this trip. I'm not supposed to be there. I jumped off that email and that connection with her, and I emailed the lady I'm supposed to be sending my thing to. Is let me tell you a story. Woo! I messed up, jacked up, and should have did this a long time ago. But because I did, God was able to open a door and allow me to speak life into a place. And man, I'm just, and she goes, what a blessing to my day today. Just let me know when you can get it. Elizabeth, I've put hope in you. 
I've put the forerunner for Jesus. But more importantly, because you can't see it, because you're still talking to an audience of one, you still can't convince yourself above the voices of the reproach, I'm going to put you into a place, I'm going to send you to somebody who knows bigger, who knows better, whose value is in that space to speak value, who's received hope and joy and peace from this God of hope so that the Holy Spirit that's in her is in abundance for you. See, all of us struggle in that space. I do, just like you. But the moment I can get out of my head and realize this God of hope inside me positions me and uses me beyond that, it's the moment we begin to make difference in the world around us. See, I told you we were going to go back to Judah and the town of Judah. If you look in Matthew 1 in the lineage of Jesus, we backtrack Jesus all the way to Judah. Judah was one of the sons of Isaac, or excuse me, Jacob. I want to take you to the story real quick, because Jacob, if you don't know the the very crowded story of Jacob, Jacob stole his birthright from his brother, ran away, stayed with his uncle, met his really beautiful, hot cousin, Rachel, and said, I want to marry her, I'm going to work for it. Then his uncle tricked him, and on the night of his marriage, under the cover of darkness, sent in her less beautiful sister Leah so then we see him married to Leah but he still wanted Rachel so then he goes to his uncle and said why'd you trick me I want Rachel so after the week of marriage for Leah he's like you gotta give her her week she's the firstborn gives her gives him Rachel in marriage and then he works seven more years so Leah in this place of reproach We find something that occurs in Genesis 29, verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. When he saw her in a place of disgrace and shame because of what her sister probably put on her, in terms of what society had put on her, in terms of what her husband had put on her, a sign of less value based on how people interacted with her. When When God saw this, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Does that sound like hope to you? I've been given a son. Maybe now my husband will love me. Reproach. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. So now, not only is her husband's reproach, now in her broken mindset, it's God's reproach. He sees how I'm hated. He sees the place I have in life. He's given me a son. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Doesn't it sound like a miserable story? Leah, you're giving birth to sons. You are birthing the very, the nation of Israel, one kid at a time. Fast forward a little bit. Jacob's name becomes Israel. He is the nation of Israel. All these sons are the 12 sons of Israel She's birthing the future of a nation, the nation that God told Abraham, out of you will make a great nation. I will be a blessing to you so that you'll be a blessing to all nations. Leah does not know her purpose because she's limited by her detractors. She's limited by her reproach. And she's still asking for sons and daughters and kids based off a broken mindset. But there's something that happens right here. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. The name Judah means praise. We see a broken woman stuck in her her. Reproach, stuck with the people who are talking about her, stuck with the less value that she's receiving. But it's the moment her mind shift, shift, mind shift, whoo, that was bad, don't put that on there. Mindset shifts, 
Your mouth just overloads yourself. The moment your mindset shifts, then you begin to walk into purpose. The moment that Leah seen that, you know what? I'm going to worship God because that's the only one I'm out to please. He continues to bless me with these kids, and I have to understand that that is because of this, not because of Jacob, not because of my dad, not because of my sister. In that moment, she names him Judah. I will worship him. Now you fast forward all these years, and Jesus is born out of the lineage of the moment the broken vessel became healed and restored. The moment she found value in the giver, not in the given. In the value in the giver, not the comparison to what everybody else has or doesn't have. See, she first compared, she took the words of her husband. Then she took the words and distorted it and made it God's. And then she took the words of her sister because she had been given children and Rachel had not. But it was in this moment she said, you know what? I am blessed. I have hope. God has given me hope. See, too many times people's reproach affects their approach. We pray differently through approach. We see ourselves differently through reproach. The Bible talks about approach the throne of God. But if you approach with your reproach, you're never going to get to the space where he wants you to. You're never going to hear what he's actually saying to you. Leah, if you could only see what I'm giving you through my eyes, if you could only see your value through the way I see you, today each one of us has an ability to walk away from what's been done to us or even what we've done because the moment we meet Jesus you get into Ephesians 1 it talks all about our identity as being adopted into sonship and daughtership we've been invited into this family that's not who you are anymore that's who people are going to still call you because that's what they know you by you can be adopted into a family and if you go to your old neighborhood they're still going to call you by your old name because they could care less about your legal name. But when you're in the home of your family, guess what they're going to call you? They ain't going to call you by who you were. They're going to call you by who you are. Because you have access to that space because of who you not are, not who you were. That's got to be the purpose of the church. There's a place of hope here that when somebody comes in, we're not sitting there looking at your reproach. We're not sitting there looking at your detractors. We're not sitting there telling you about your sin. It's an invitation to something different. There's that song that says, he's bringing hope to the hopeless. The broken mindset of the church is we got to tell people how hopeless they are so they can come get hope. He said, Leah, if I could just show you that you have hope in me, then you'll operate differently. You'll stop seeking after me in areas that I'm not in. Elizabeth, if you would just focus on the hope that I've put in you, there's going to be a confirmation of who, what you have. And it's going to change the way you speak about me. It's going to change the way you see yourself. Last I want to read to you and we're going to close out. See, the hardest thing for us to realize is God will approach the voices of your reproach when you seek him. We love to go back to the voices, right? We love to say, you know what? I guess I've got to go make amends. I've got to go hold these people accountable. How dare you talk? Look at me. I've got a child. Mm-hmm. You didn't know what she was talking about. Doesn't sound very hopeful either, does it? See, even in having and receiving, there's still no peace and joy in it. There's still no release from those things. 1 Peter 3.15, I read this earlier. I'm telling you, this, is, this has to be the cry of the church. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. But here's the peace that releases us from the reproach that's been done to us. Releases us from the place where people may still be talking about us. Having a good conscience, conscience so that 
when you are slandered, those who revel your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. See, it's the moment that we were released from seeking that place, seeking them, even the voices, the loudest voices, the voices that tell us who we were and what we did so we can go back and validate them. It's that moment that we realize, I don't even have to go back to that anymore because that's, I can't get value where there's no value to be given. I can't get release from somebody who realistically has no control over me. I've got the control over me. I'm the one that keeps me tied to this place. I'm the one that's stuck right here looking for hope in a hopeless situation. See, I I talked about this last week. Hopelessness will never birth hope. Hope, however, can thrive in hopelessness when it's founded in God. Jeremiah 29, 11, the hope scripture was sent to a group of people in a hopeless situation. I know you're in exile, but I have a future and a hope for you. I need you to understand the hope that lies in you so you can go into that community, into that city, into that place of exile and thrive to be the blessing you were called to be. This is the reason we can't be the husbands, the the wives, the mothers, the fathers that we've been called to be because we're still, man, my mom was a bad mom or my dad was not good. See, the hope is that you will be a good father or a good mother or a good wife or a good husband. But when your approach lies right there, when you're stuck right there trying to validate yourself to broken people to broken situations it's always stuck had the opportunity to to be in conversations with business people and successful people and you don't know how many people in those conversations I find that are their whole intent or purpose to be successful is to be better than what they had I was raised poor and I refuse to be poor ever again You're never going to find joy and peace in that. When the purpose of your success is excess, you'll never be aware of your access. There's so many people in this place of reproach that didn't have love, attention, money, all the things, whatever it is they're still looking for. Elizabeth's validation of having child. It's in that place of brokenness that they continue to not walk into the access of promise of what God's promised to them, what he wants to do through them. What does that Romans say? The God of endurance and encouragement. If I can get you all in a room together and I can get you to bring your endurance and your encouragement, if I can get you to bring your journey and your story, when you walk away from the people who out there are talking about you and you walk into a place of people who are talking into you, I become bigger. And then you walk out of here invigorated, encouraged, with a message of hope that will change lives. the beautiful of that story of that narrative of the Bible is God never changes Leah I see you you can just see me Elizabeth I see you you can just see me Gary I see you if you could just see me Ed I see you if you could just see me Marianne, I see you if you could just see me. You are not what has been done to you. Your hope does not lie in the fact that you just made it here. 
Your hope lies in every step you take towards the eternal promise we've been given. Because the moment you see yourself as that, you'll never be limited to that. Father, I thank you today. Thankful that you took on our reproach. I'm thankful that you carry the burden of the voices that have been against us. Even our own. I'm thankful that you're a God that continues to invite us to release things that have held us back. Release the things that the enemy uses to distract us from our hope. That puts us in a place of unworthiness where we feel like we can't share your message to those in need. Father, I pray that divine healings would begin going on in people's minds and heart today as they begin to take notice of the voices they've given credit to, the voices they've given control and authority to over their life, to steal their hope, to steal their purpose. Father, I pray today that somebody would encounter your Holy Spirit and that baby would leap in their belly, that purpose would leap in their belly, that restoration would leap in their belly, that healing would leap in their belly, understanding that the hope they've been given is not for eternity, but it's for right here, right now. Father, I pray that we walk into this Christmas season with a different mindset, that we have a gift to share, that we have a gift that can be freely given. Father, we thank you today that you gave us a chance. We pray that it's in that place that we will begin to walk differently, being difference makers in the world around us, sharing this gift of hope with all we come in contact with, listening to your voice to lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.